0: Father, thank you. Lord, we sang that song of your faithfulness to us, and Lord, we, as we think about this past year, Lord, we're just so grateful. Lord, we're grateful that you are a God who is faithful. Lord, you've been faithful to this ministry for many, many, many years. and Lord, just we just want to say thank you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who, who cares. Lord that you're a God who is personally engaged in, in our lives. Lord that you are a God who has come near through Jesus Christ, and we just celebrated that with Christmas. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is here with us right now. Lord, thank you that you've given to us your word. You revealed yourself to us that we might be able to know you. And and so we pray, Father, that even in this time that we have, Lord, that that you would help us to hear from you. Lord, that you would encourage our hearts. Lord, that that you would guide and direct us. Lord, help us to be drawn closer to you. And as a result of our time being here today, Lord, be better fitted for your kingdom. And so we pray that you would use, use this time for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I was thinking about uh, to what, what to, to share this morning, you know, with, uh, with today being, um, you know, New Year's Day, I thought it would be appropriate for us to, to talk about time. Um, you know, the first day of the year, in a lot of ways, is a very special day. You know, it's a day of new beginnings, of, of fresh starts, and uh, it's also a day that reminds us that time is passing. Um, it's kind of like the sands of the hourglass. We can't stop it. We can't save it. It just keeps on going, right? Um, I, I, I don't know about you, but it, it seems like, you know, if you remember when you were kids, it seemed like time just kind of drug on, right? But the older you get, the faster it seems to go, right? It just gets faster and faster as, as time, and it's hard to believe that another year has passed. I, as I was preparing this message, how many of you remember Y2K? Yeah, Y2K. So it's when, right when the world was supposed to all go into chaos and destruction because we're entering into a new century, um, doesn't that seem like that was just a few years ago? And that was 23 years ago. It doesn't seem like, how is that possible that it was that long ago? Um, you know, just to put some perspective on time, if, if you, um, this for parents, this kind of freaks you out, at least it does for me when I thought about it, but if your child lives with you until they're age 18, when they're nine years old, that means they've lived half their life under your roof. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? You think about time, you know? Um, the Bible talks about three score and 10, which is 70, right? So if, if you live to be 70 years of age, if you're 35, that means you've lived half your life, right? Um, if you live to be 17, you, I mean, if you're 17, you've lived a quarter of your life. That is if you die when you're 70. But, but I, I just, just time. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but why is it that we seem to struggle so much with Time. I think you hopefully I mean you agree with that statement that we do struggle with time. You know? Sheldon Van Auken, an author, says it this way: He says, How strange that we cannot love time. It spoils our loveliest moments. Nothing quite comes up to expectations because of it. We alone. Animals, so far as we can see, are unaware of trouble, untroubled. Time is their natural environment. Why do we sense that it is not ours? It suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we were created for eternity. Not only are we hurried by time, we seem unable, despite a thousand generations, even to get used to it. We're always amazed at it, how fast it goes, how slowly it goes, how much of it's gone. Why, we cry, has the time gone? We aren't adapted to it, not at home in it, and if that is so, it may appear as a proof or at least a powerful suggestion that eternity exists and is our home. You know, the Bible tells us that we were created in the image of an eternal God as eternal beings. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to think about the internality of God, consider its implications and how that makes a difference on how we should use our time. So first of all, the, the first thing, the, the eternality of God. How long is forever? Um, some of you have heard the expression YOLO. It's not used so much anymore, but it means you only live once, right? I mean, the idea is that, that you, leave, you live once, then you die, you cease to exist, so you've got to grab all the excitement and the pleasure and entertainment that you can in this life, right? And, and if, if this life was all that there was, there would be some logic to that, But that's not what the Bible tells us. You know, I've heard it suggested maybe it would be better to say, instead of YOLO, say YOLF. You only live forever. Um, We were created by God to live forever. And I think about eternity, um, an explanation of eternity maybe to help us just a little bit. And I realize, you know, trying to think of that which is infinite with finite minds is very difficult. But, But see if this helps at all. Imagine Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, is 29,000 feet tall, or that's five and a half miles high. Once every thousand years, a seagull flies to the mountain and picks up one piece of dirt. Okay? After Mount Everest has been gone, all right, once, a th- once every thousand years, one piece of dirt. Once Mount Everest is totally gone, it's level ground, eternity is just beginning. Psalm 90 verse 2 says it this way, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I don't know if that helps or not. But what does it mean that God is eternal? And this is on your, on your sheets there, on your, your bulletin that was handed out. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being, he sees all time equally, and yet God sees events in time and acts in time. In other words, God exists outside of time. He created time for us when he created the world. He exists outside of time. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, or it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. So in other words, he says, I am the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So God is unlimited by time, so much so that He determines its beginning and He determines its end. Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created. And the rest of the Bible descri- describes God who decrees seasons and times for our benefit, but is not bound by time at all. He is free to act within time as He wills, He is free to act or exist outside. Of time, God simultaneously then, is, is the God of the past, the present, and the future, and is not bound by time. So the past holds no missed opportunities for God. The, the present holds no anxiety for Him. The future holds no uncertainty for Him. He was and is and is to come. Moreover, all of God's actions within time happen at just the right time. He is never early or late. He is never in a hurry. He's never playing catch-up. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says it this way. It says that God decides for everything a season and a time for every matter under the heavens. That's not true of us, is it? I mean, we struggle with the appropriate time for almost everything, it seems, right? We want things to be done sooner than later, unless, of course, we're talking about Death. Um, and so we as humans struggle with making sense of time. And that's why I think the writer of Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says it this way, he has made everything beautiful in its time, speaking of God. Also, he has set eternity into man's heart, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So put, put another way, God, who ultimately brings beauty from everything, has given time-bound humans a longing for timelessness but in our limited understanding we cannot grasp what he is doing because because time's beginnings and endings. c.s Lewis said it says it this way he says if i find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy which in this case we're talking about the desire for unlimited time the only logical explanation is that i was made for another world We struggle to see God's beauty because we expect it to be according to our time schedule. But we learn very quickly that the eternal God works according to his time schedule, according to his purposes, and not our own. Now, what are some of the implications of God being eternal? Well, since God is eternal, he can be and continue forever to be the one safe home for time-driven children. Uh, Psalm 90 verse 1 says it this way, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. We need to learn to run to him because he is the refuge who is and always will be. So God is the eternal God and he has created us for purpose to live forever. He's created us for purpose to live forever. So just, just think about how meaningless life would be if there is no God and there is no life after this life. I mean, this is it. We, when you die, you cease to exist. There would be no purpose if the cosmos is just a result of random processes that's with no intention behind them. And what you did in your life would make absolutely no difference at all. I mean, so what if you live as a good person? If when you die, that's it. If you rot in the ground, Who cares? Life would be meaningless. Sure, you might be remembered for a short time, but eventually you would be forgotten. The Bible says, though, that we live in an intentional universe created by an eternal God who created us as eternal beings. And, and quite honestly, that changes everything. That means that we don't look to ourselves to try to determine the meaning and the purpose for our own lives. It means that we look to God to understand the purpose for which He created us. It means that life isn't about us, but it's all about Him. And so why did God create us? Why did God create man? Well, the Bible tells us that we were created by God to have an eternal relationship with God. John 17, 3 says it this way, Now this is eternal life. And sometimes we think, well, that means we're going to live forever. But notice what it says, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. So we were created by an eternal God to have a relationship with God. Secondly, God created us to bring glory to God. Isaiah the prophet says it this way in Isaiah 43:7. He says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So, so we were created... To have an eternal relationship with God, we were created to worship God and to bring him glory. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us that that is not what we did. And in Romans chapter one, it says it this way, it says, "Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. And end of verse 25 it says, "And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things." rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. See, as a result of our rebellion against God, because of our sin against God, our relationship with God is cut off. And although we were created to have an eternal relationship with God, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is eternal separation from God, which is another way of talking about what hell is. You have to understand, death in the Bible, death in the Bible does not mean that we cease to exist. Death in the Bible is the idea of separation. So when we, are, we are, when we die physically, we're separated from our physical bodies. When we die spiritually, it means we're separated from this relationship with God for which we were, we were supposed to have. Now, fortunately for us, the Bible story doesn't end there. The Bible tells us that God demonstrated His love for us while we were still His enemies, while we were still sinners. Jesus Christ died for us. So Jesus was willing to take the punishment that you and I deserved. He was willing to take the death, that separation from God upon himself in our place so we for, could be forgiven. And that's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. Amen, thank you. You know, Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14 says, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful heart, God made you alive with Christ. Didn't wait till we cleaned up our act, right? It says, while we were still dead, that's when Christ went to the cross. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulation that was against us, that stood opposed to us, and he nailed it. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And what a beautiful picture of that. Is. You picture the cross of Christ and our, our sins being nailed to the cross so that they can be paid for and forgiven. What an amazing picture. That's why Jesus Christ, you remember on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you realize on the cross, Jesus Christ experienced the cosmic separation for God that you and I deserve so that we could be forgiven and brought into relationship with God for which we were created to live forever. Now the question comes down to this then. Does that mean that everybody is automatically forgiven? And the answer of the Scriptures is no. Everybody isn't automatically forgiven. There's a response that's required. The Bible tells us that it is only those who repent of their sin. That is those who are willing to acknowledge their wrong and desire to turn away from that and to turn to God. That is to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His death as a rescuer for their sins. John says it this way in John (laughs) 1.12. Yet to all who received him, that is Christ, to those who have believed in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. And that is amazing good news. So you and I were created by God as eternal beings to have relationship with God. And this really is the challenge. I mean, if you have never, if you say here this morning, you have never repented of your sins, if you have never placed your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ as your rescuer from sin, The challenge is this, is to do it today. Because Paul says it this way. He says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You know, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And so we've seen that we're created by God with with souls that live forever. I mean, is there any wonder then that as eternal beings we struggle with time? And so where I want to spend the rest of our time then is focusing on, okay, so what? How can we make the most of the time that God has given to us? In the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians, the first half of the book, Paul shares with the Ephesian believers the good news of the gospel, what I just share with you, how that in Christ, that we can be in Christ, and that changes everything. It makes us new creation. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, for by grace... You are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that's the first half of Ephesians. The second half of Ephesians, verses, or chapters 4 through 6, Paul then shares the implications of how we should live now as Christians. So this is what's true of me because I'm in Christ. Now this is true. How am I supposed to live because of that? Now we don't live this way as a means to salvation, but as a result of the fact that we are saved. And so that takes us to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 17. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Ephesians 5 15 says this Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, the, the King James translation says, redeem the time because the days are evil. And I kind of like that, this idea of redeeming is paying, buying back, you know, u- u- making use of the time that we have. Now, in, in Ephesians 5.15, which is what I read to you, the, the verse right before that, Ephesians 5.14, basically that verse, Paul describes believers who are asleep. It's the, basically this idea of their sleep walking through life, and he tells them to wake up so Christ can shine his light through you. Wake up. Don't walk through this life like you're, you're somebody who's sleepwalking. Well, what does it mean then for us to make, um, make use of, of the opportunity, make the most of every opportunity that we have? Well, first of all, time is a gift. It's a gift from God. And we all, we all get the same amount of time each day, once time is lost, it cannot be regained. That's why Jesus said in, in, in John 9, 4, he says, as long as it is today, we must work, do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Let's say that the bank, let's say your bank calls you, and they say, hey, I have some great news for you. And they tell you that an anonymous donor who loves you very, very much has decided that they're going to deposit 86,400 pennies into your account every day. Now, for you mathematicians out there, that's $864, right? Seven days a week, 52 days a year. But there's one stipulation. You have to spend all that money in the same day. No balance will ever be carried from one day to the next. The bank must cancel whatever sum you fail to use. So you start to figure that out. Well, that equals, that's $6,000 a week. That's $315,000 a year. How many of you guys would like to have to have that challenge to spend that much money every, right? every year? Yeah, some of you, yeah. You know, but, but, but seriously, every morning, someone who loves you deposits into your bank of time 86,400 seconds of time, which is 1,440 is minutes, which is equal to 24 hours a day. And the same stipulation applies. Because God gives you this amount of time each day, but nothing can be carried over. As someone has said, life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can spend it only once. So time is a gift. It's an amazing gift from God. Paul says, secondly, Paul says that we need to be wise about how we spend it. I mean, how would a foolish person spend it? Years ago, when I was in high school, I worked at a at a a nursing home, and uh, one of the guys that was that I worked with was a 19-year-old guy named Abe, and he happened to win the uh, state lottery, the Pennsylvania state lottery. He won $70,000. Now, again, that doesn't sound like much today, but 45 years ago, that was worth quite a bit more money. So, guess what he did with his winnings? Well, the first thing he did was he called and he quit. He quit his job. The next thing he did was he paid off his parents' mortgage, which was actually kind of a nice thing to do. Then he bought two brand-new automobiles, and he basically spent all the rest of his money on alcohol and drugs. And in three months' time, it was gone. Now, what does that tell us about a a fool? He never thought, the thought never occurred to him, this was not his money, but it belonged to the Lord. The the thought never entered his mind that one day he was going to have to give an account to God for how he spent that money. You know, Romans 14.12 says, says this, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So how would a wise person, what would a wise person do? Right? Well, they would invest the money instead of just spend it, right? They would seek to understand what God's will is and use it accordingly. Matter of fact, in the passage we're looking at in Ephesians 5.17, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is and that applies to our use of time as well. Jonathan Edwards suggested that we live each day as if at the end of that day we were going to have to give an account to God about how we used our time that day. Well, how would a fool use their time? Well, they would waste their time on things that really don't matter. I had a professor in in, in school that said his greatest fear in life was not that he would fail, he said his greatest fear in life was that he would succeed in that which didn't really matter. So how would a fool use their time? They would use their time doing things that were a waste. They would use their time doing things that, that they shouldn't be involved in, right? Like sinful practices and, and, and activities. They, they would live their lives like there is no God, right? Like, like they, it's okay for them to live all about themselves and waste their time. Well, how would a wise person use their time? Well, Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and knowledge. I mean, the structure of that verse is it contrasts a wise person from a foolish person, and it says the fool doesn't really want to obtain understanding or knowledge, which is in contrast to what a wise person wants. And so in Ephesians five seventeen, Paul tells us that the, he says that we need to understand what the Lord's will is. Understanding of God's will is found in the Word of God. Therefore, the wise person spends time in God's Word to find out how God wants him to invest his time. And so i got to ask you this question. Do you daily spend time in God's Word? Do you daily spend time in prayer? You know, maybe that's something that you intentionally need to make a step to say, this year, that's a commitment that I want to make so that I use my time wisely. I mean, imagine the guy... Hopefully this isn't true of any of you here today. Imagine the guy who got a piece of furniture from Ikea for Christmas. And instead of consulting the assembly manual on how to put the furniture together, right, he figures he can do it on his own. And so he wastes tons and tons of time and gets tremendously frustrated, and then he finally pulls out the assembly manual to figure out how to put it together. You know, the reality is this. God has given us a relationship with himself, and he has given us instruction in the word of God so we can know how to live and how to redeem the time. And so the question is this. Are you taking advantage of the resources that God has given to you, or are you trying to do it on your own, and you're wasting precious time in the process? Wisdom seeks to do whatever is going to advance the kingdom of God. That is whatever is going to invest for eternity. Scripture tells us, I mean, that, that God and His Word are things that are eternal. Wisdom seeks to please the Lord. Wisdom will live out the priorities of Jesus. Well, what was important to Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus loved others, that He shared other, with other people about, about God, that he, he served others. All those things were priorities for Him. Wisdom would seek to do what is best, no matter what, as an act of service and a testimony to the Lord. So, whatever you're doing, you know, are you doing it as unto the Lord, doing your best? Colossians three, twenty-three and twenty-four says it this way: Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. So, time, time is a gift. Time is is we need to make sure that we are wise in how we use our time. Thirdly, time is short. I mean, Paul tells us to make the most of every opportunity. The word for opportunity literally means towards the port. Towards the port. The idea is that of being on a sailing ship, and when the wind is blowing favorably, you take advantage of it and you sail towards the port. Paul is saying that we need to be prepared to use our time to take advantage of the opportunities as they arise. And so, the wise person realizes that life is short, and opportunities won't always be there. You know, James, um, half brother Jesus, James 4:14, 4, he says this. He says, "What is your life? Right? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is short." the fool procrastinates. They, they make excuses as to why they, they can't act. They're lazy, or maybe they're really busy, but they're doing things that really, right? They're investing in things that, that they ought not. So we need to work while we can. Life is short. We need to take advantage of the opportunities that we have. Why? Well, Paul tells us, because, because the days are evil, you know, most likely this has to do with the Roman persecution that these believers in Ephesus were experiencing made things a lot more difficult for the Christians to live as God has intended. And the days that we live in, you know, the opportunities we have today we may not have tomorrow because of the cultural situation we live in. Therefore, we need to take advantage of the opportunities we have today before they're no longer available to us. And then fourthly, God has a plan. God has a plan for our lives. He says, understand what the Lord's will is. You know, a wise person will have a plan for their time, will be intentional and not just haphazard. They will live their life purposely for God and live on purpose for God. If God has a will for us, then we need to seek to know what it is. Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, he says it this way, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So we need to, know, to need no, know not only what God's will is, but we need to be willing to seek to implement that into our daily lives. And when it comes to knowing God's will, I want to suggest to you that the starting place is obedience. Obedience to what we already know of God's will. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about, but why would God reveal more of His will to us if we're not willing to be obedient to the will that He has revealed to us already? We know God wants us to be kind and loving. We know God wants us to tell other people about Jesus. We know God wants us to live holy lives. And there's a whole list of things we know. And we don't do this, not, we don't do this so that people look at us and say, Whoa, wow, you're an amazing person. What a kind and loving person. No, we do this so people see Jesus in us. You know, Earlier in, in Ephesians 2, in verse 10, Paul tells the believers talking about this idea that God has a plan for us. Listen to what he says. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for us. We need to make sure we aren't missing the opportunities that God has planned because we aren't walking daily with God. Wise use of our time, then, is a preparation for eternity. Jesus tells us, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. So when we serve God and we're motivated out of a love for God, we are investing in eternity. The wise person keeps eternity in view even as they live their lives. I mean, the fact that we are eternal beings and in Christ promised an eternity in heaven should give us a hope that impacts how we live each and every day for His glory. All right, so some action steps then. To redeem the present time, we need to, number one, is we need to let go of the past. Let go of the past. I mean, if you have sinned, repent. Repent of that. Allow yourself to experience God's forgiveness. Holding on to past hurts, past regrets will never help you to be able to redeem the time that we have in the present. Paul The Apostle Paul says it this way in in Philippians 3. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says he let go of this, let, letting go of the past and he has this single focus now also he talks about the future but we have to let, be willing to let go of the future if the future we're constantly coveting the next stage of our life and we're looking for the next big event that's going to happen if we're always looking for the future as a way of escape from present troubles and present problems and you know and we're not living in the present so we need to allow the future to motivate us so that we would live today to the fullest for the glory of God. And what about the present? So live today for the fullest for the glory of God. We can squander today by being lazy or being fearful. We can squander today by being compulsively busy and living without any kind of an eternal perspective. And so may God help us. May God help us to number our days and make the most of every opportunity. No, the only way that we'll be able to do that is to be in the right frame of heart and mind by daily investing time in our relationship with God and spending time in God's Word and in prayer and then seeking to live each day for the advancement of His kingdom and His glory. This is we wrap this up then. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. He says, "'Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love.'" just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The only way that we can live the lives that we've been talking about is because of Jesus. It's only because of him. Jesus loved us, he gave himself for us so that we can be redeemed and then we can redeem the time. The starting point for redeeming the time does not start with what we do. It starts with who we are. In Christ, and we see this in this verses, in verse 1, in Christ we are dearly loved children of God. And when you internalize that truth and you rest in that truth, that will empower you and motivate you then to be able to redeem the time. Please understand what I'm saying here. This is not just about adding more to your life and becoming busier. Quite honestly, taking a nap might be a really, really good investment of your time. This is about understanding who you are as one who is redeemed by God and then learning to live out, allowing that to make a difference in your life for God and living that out as God gives you opportunities. And so I want to challenge you. If there is one thing, you know, maybe there's one thing that God's been speaking to you over a course of time, maybe it's one thing you know as this new year is unfolding that you feel like God has been wanting you to do, to be intentional about, to seek and to do, but you've not been doing that. The challenge is to make the most of every opportunity. Be intentional. Take advantage of whatever that is. You know, James 4, 17 says it this way, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. May God help us. May God help us to redeem the time, to make the most of every opportunity that we have, because those opportunities won't last forever. And with God's help, we can make a difference for his kingdom. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, even as we, we bow our heads and our hearts before you, Lord, we, we acknowledge and just want to thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we can be made new and become children of God. And Lord, that changes everything. It changes for why we live and how we live and what our motivation is for for life. And Father, certainly we struggle with time. It it seems to always be slipping from our grasp, Lord, and, and we always feel like we never have enough But I pray, Father, that you would help us. Lord, help us to learn these truths that Paul is reminding us of, that life is short. Life is a gift, and it is something that we need to invest. Lord, we want to invest the opportunities that you've given to us that we might make a difference for your kingdom. And so I pray, Father, help us. Lord, help us to know exactly what that, in each of our individual lives, help us to know what that would mean. Lord, what is it that you are asking of us? Lord, we know certainly that that part of that is spending time with you, that our our hearts and our our heads and our thoughts would be right. Lord, that we would be reminded again of who we are. And Lord, that we would be seeing what your will is for us, and we'd be willing to live those things out. And I, I pray, Father, help us, Lord, to make that commitment to spend time with you daily. Lord, we can't do this. We can't redeem the time on just our own strength and our own with, the, with our own wisdom. And so we pray, help us. Lord, even as we pray our hearts in just a moment for the Lord's Supper, Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ and, and Lord, for the fact that, that he went to the cross to demonstrate his love for us, Lord, and the sacrifice that makes all the difference in the world. And I pray, Father, even as we spend this time, Lord, that this would be such that would draw our hearts to you.